0: God has brought you here by divine appointment. You thought you made a decision this morning to throw your clothes on and go to church. But God knew you'd be here before you were born. Isn't that great? And he, while he has a message for you, I, it may not be from me, but the Holy Spirit will speak to you from his word. We're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 9. we We're entitled this, The Day of the Lord. <laughs> the day of the Lord. If you find that in your Bible, stand and we'll read a few of these verses. and uh, We're going to study the entire chapter, Lord willing, and uh, read several verses, and then uh, we'll preach to you. So find that and stand with me, if you will, tradition here in this place, and God bless you. All right. (laughs) Paul is speaking under the inspiration of God. He has written this letter, and it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. As that day of Christ is at hand, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. God bless us. Let's take a look in your book for a walk in this world, that, Lord, we'll glean and we'll listen and we'll apply things to our life today that you'd have us to apply to our lives, and that we'll be doers, not hearers. We know we're in the last days. We don't know when your son is coming. One day you'll send him, and we'll be grateful. God, we thank you for being in control of this world and even our nation during these perilous times. Blessed now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> this city, Thessalonica, was named after Alexander the Great's daughter. He conquered the city and gave it a name. Thessalonolia was her name and gave her that name. It was a coastal city on the seacoast, Mediterranean. It had about 70,000 people there. It was great for trade. There was a main road. People tra- could trade there by sea and by land. Uh, and Paul is now writing to encourage these believers. Remember in First Thessalonians, he wrote about the rapture and the day of the Lord. Well, they'd become confused by his writing. Nothing wrong with his writing, but like people sometimes get confused when they read the Word of God. And so he's writing another letter to clear up this confusion about the day of the Lord. And he says, I wrote this with my own hand. And verse 17 of chapter 3. Sometimes he dictated letters. This one he wrote, and he says here in verse 1, we beseech you. He was with Timothy and Silas, and Silas is often in his Bible called Silvanus, and so he's with uh, Silas and Timothy as he writes this letter to encourage. The church started in Acts 17 under great persecution. You remember the Jews came and they dragged uh, Jason out of the house and beat him. And that's that's how they accepted the church in this part of the world. And so here he is now. He's encouraging them uh, on this island, on this Greece mainland, excuse me. And he's encouraging them uh, to hang in there and not to get confused any longer or be confused about the day of the Lord. He says here in verse 1, we beseech you. That's our word. Encourage. He exhorts. Uh, by the coming of our Lord Jesus. And in this passage, there are three different Greek words that we find all uh, re- related to the word coming. We have the word para, parousa here, paras, you know, parachute. That's when he comes close to us. And then there's the word uh, uh, apocalypse, which means revealed. And that's in our text. And then epiphany it talks about his brightness of his coming, the epiphany. And so several words here, all talking about Jesus coming. We'll get to all that in a moment. But he says, uh, and by, he says the coming of our Lord and by our gathering together. And that word gathering is the Greek word synagogue. That's how they gathered back in that day. Later you'd find the word, in in many epistles, the word ecclesia or church gathered together. But they were still, remember, meeting in synagogues. They would go into synagogues, they'd preach the word, they'd be persecuted. They'd also start a church, like with Jason, and in houses. And so this is the mingling of these two things. Acts is a book that covers it so well. You have them meeting in synagogues and starting churches. You have the law. You have the grace. You have Jews and Gentiles. Now in Acts, they come together under the leadership of Paul. So he's 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 encouraging them. He says, "Don't be troubled. Don't be shaken in mind." You know, we need to gird up the loins of our mind today. If if we're going to just get all caught up in the news and what's going on in the world, we can be shaken in mind. We can become confused as to what's going on in our world. In Matthew chapter 24, I'll turn there if you want to turn there with me. He tells them not to be troubled here. Then in Matthew 24, verse 6, he says the same thing in Matthew 24, 6. He says, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, when he wrote 1 Thessalonians, they thought that the Lord's coming was uh, already started, that the Lord was, you know, in the process of landing on the earth, <coughs> setting up his kingdom, and they were confused. And many of them had quit their jobs. So he had to say, keep working. Don't quit your jobs. He's not here yet. And we've been waiting for him. For 2,000 years now, they thought he was going to come then. We think he's going to come now. They had a lot of persecution, a lot of things going on then. We're starting to see persecution in America even in regards to Christians. And we see all these wars, what's going on in Israel. Don't let that trouble you. While the end is near, the end is not here yet. We have to just wait on the Lord, and that means to actively serve the Lord as we wait for His coming. So he's writing this, and he's He's telling them several things have to happen before He comes to the earth. And we find here, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first. Now this Greek word here, you know it. The word falling away comes from a Greek word... A Greek word, apostate. and You know what an apostate is. It's somebody who teaches the wrong thing. He says there's going to be a falling away. What's happening in these last days? A falling away. Listen to some of the preaching and teaching. And don't listen too much because you can be uh, led astray. But Today there's a falling away from God and from his word. There are groups that teach there's many ways to get to God. The Bible said there's one way. There are people who have different ideas about God that are not scriptural. It frustrates me even sometimes on Christian radio to hear things, and I think, that's not scriptural. That bothers me. And the wars and what's going on in Israel bothers me, but we can't let it trouble us. Because the end is not here. We are getting close. And when it it gets near, we'll know, because the next great event is that we're raptured out. So he says. So he says several things here. He said uh, there's several things have to happen, and we'll mention three today in verses three to nine. He says, first of all, there's a falling away. People will just fall away. The apostate. The words translated in your Bible, forsake, fall away, forsake. It's the same word, apostate. And he says, second of all, we'll mention in a moment the second thing that has to happen is that the uh, uh temple has to re- be rebuilt, and the Antichrist has to be revealed. We'll talk about that in a minute. But look at here, it says, And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. This is no different than the Antichrist uh, of, of the New Testament. It's no different than the sea beast of Revelation 13. It, it, it's the same as the scarlet beast of Revelation chapter 7. We know the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. And we know at Revelation 17, excuse me, we know it's going to happen. We know it's coming, but he's not here yet. You see, the Antichrist will not be revealed until we're raptured out. You can panic over all that, and you can panic over Israel, and the war is there. God's going to protect Israel, and the battle of Armageddon may come very soon when the whole world rallies against her, but Jesus is going to step in. But we're gone before that. So why would we worry? And, you know, there's going to be global warming. Yes, it says in Revelation 16, the sun's going to scorch men. The ozone layer will probably be probably break down, but we don't worry about that. We're raptured before all that. And that's in the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. So we know the Antichrist will be revealed, but not until we're gone. And I've had people over the years say, well, maybe Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. <clears throat> well, Henry Kissinger ended up being pretty good to Israel. And then, of course, you know, in the 40s, they thought Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. And the Jews thought the man of sin, as the Old Testament talks about him, they thought maybe it was uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, a guy who was in that day and defiled the temple. They thought, well, this is the end, because he defiled the temple. And, and, and some have thought different things. I've heard Barack Obama was the Antichrist. I've heard so many different people uh, say different things, but they're all wrong because we will not know Till after the rapture, when he is revealed. So first of all, there's a falling away, an apostate. And then we find <coughs> there's a, a, the, the man of sin. You know, I like in the Old Testament, Yahweh is called the man of uh, war. And here, the man of sin. Jesus was called the man of sorrows, the man of sorrows. And the Antichrist will be a man. He'll, he'll look like a man, and he'll be someone of extreme sin. You see, even if our laws, our country's messed up, our world's messed up, even though there's laws in the books, we still are now saying it's okay for people to marry someone of the same sex and it's okay to adopt babies and and it's okay for them to have all these rights like a married couple and now certain banks are providing full benefits for them as a married couple. And, And our country's getting to where liberal judges are making all these things legal and Okay. But folks, there's still a moral law built in our conscience, in our hearts, that tells us it's wrong. And there's the written law. Well, when the Antichrist, the man of sin, comes, he will violate the written law. He'll violate the moral law. He may not violate America's laws because it may be so liberal. What he's doing is not wrong. It doesn't matter when the Bible says something's wrong and your conscience says something's wrong, it's wrong. No matter what the world says. Oh, don't be judgmental, you Christians. You're hateful about it. No, it's biblical to say, believe, and stand against that kind of junk because it's wrong. And we see it. It's prevalent. But don't let your heart be troubled. There is a falling away. We see it happening in our world. Uh, Here is this man of sin and this son of perdition, the man of sin. He's going to lead a ten-nation European federation. There'll be a one-world currency, and he'll rise up and be worshipped as a religious person, and he'll begin to lead the world. And he'll have miracle-working powers, the Bible says here in this chapter. Uh, and so here he is called the uh, a son of perdition, the son of sin, the son of Satan. We know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So here it says he'll be revealed here in verse 3. Then it says he'll oppose and exalt himself. He'll oppose everything of God. He'll exalt himself in verse 4. In the same verse, he'll show himself. Jesus humbled himself. But one day Jesus is going to come and he will be exalted. And he'll defeat this man. He'll defeat the Antichrist. He'll defeat the Satan, Satanic trinity of the beast, false prophet, and Antichrist. He'll defeat the enemy. He'll defeat the eight nations of the world that have rallied against Israel. And it says here that he he is, he says he's against, he's exalted himself above that, all that is called God or that is is worshipped. One great writer said the grammar here indicates that he is going to be the object of worship, the Antichrist. And we know that as we pull scriptures from all over the New Testament. He'll be in control of the world. His miracle working power will get everyone to follow him. And if you're saved after the tribulation period, not you because you heard the gospel, but but those that have never heard that are saved after the tribulation period, you know what they'll have to do? They'll have to flee into the mountains and hide. They'll have to endure to the end to be saved from this because everyone will be required to take the mark of the beast, the little microchip with those numbers to put out take out of your bank a fair amount of groceries for you and your family, and the whole world will be getting this microchip, the mark of the beast. The guy who invented it, McIntyre, said it's a cutting into. They'll stick it in two places where there's the least fat, your hand and your forehead. Now, if someone's called you a fat head, that doesn't really mean you have fat on your head. But we know that that'll be your way. If someone doesn't have hands, they'll be able to just put their head down and scan, and all your groceries will be taken care of until the world runs out of money. And the world's going to be out of actual currency, and this will be the one-world system. But then famine will hit and all these other things because it won't work. Anything that's not of God is a sin and it's not going to work. And so it says here, he's worshiped. And then it says he sits in the temple as God. And this is really a reference to the most holy place. Here this son of perdition, and we could, it's translated in your Bible, destruction and waste. This son of destruction and perdition will sit in the temple and be worshiped as he is, as, as though he's God. He'll make a covenant with Israel and say, I'll lead you. You've been waiting for a Messiah. I'm, I'm going to lead you. I'm your Messiah. And Israel will make a covenant. Then he'll break the covenant. He'll go into the temple, be worshipped, and then he'll offer a pig and filthy stuff and defile the temple. And that's called the abomination of desolation in the book of Daniel. So he'll do all that and get all the praise for himself. And the whole world will think, this is the one. This is, this is our spiritual leader. We've been waiting for him. It's sad to think about everybody following him, but that's what's going to happen. So we know the temple has to be rebuilt by the middle of the tribulation period for this to happen. It's got to be a temple. And, and all of a sudden we're going to hear, maybe in our lifetimes, maybe prior, prior to the rapture or that happening, we may hear of the temple being constructed. We're going to go, wow, wow. It could be finished in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, but it could be started today. And so we know all these things are unfolding, and we see some things happening, and we know that the abomination of desolation is going to take place. And so Paul is writing, and he's saying, here's what I want to clear up. Before the day of the Lord takes place, there will be an apostate falling away, which has happened. And there'll be a, a, a man of sin, an antichrist, before the Lord comes back to the earth. So we're rapture. Seven years later, Jesus comes back to the earth. But in that, in that time in between, we have a man of sin, satanic trinity, arising and taking over the world. And everyone has to follow them and take their little mark. And the day of the Lord, to a lot of people, they think of that as a great time. But actually, the day of the Lord is not a good time. In the Old Testament, every time you see the phrase, the day of the Lord, it was a time of judgment. And the day of the Lord in the tribulation period is when Jesus comes back angry about the abomination of desolation in the temple. He's finally uh, coming back to this earth seven years later and he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and take control of the world. Defeat all of Israel's enemies. Defeat the Antichrist and set up his kingdom. So the day of the Lord, while we look forward to it from one perspective, that that's what's going to happen in the end. It's actually a time of judgment. And so before that day of the Lord happens, you have the apostatism of falling away. You have the rebuilding of the temple. And you have the revelation of the Antichrist. And we pick up, down, we're going to jump down, And verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So here is the word epiphany, the brightness. So the Antichrist is going to come. The man of sin is going to come, set up his kingdom. Then the Lord's going to destroy him. But we think of all the things that have to happen before the Lord comes to the earth. And those are some of the things, the apostasism and the rebuilding of the temple and the falling away, the apostasy, the rebuilding of the temple and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, verses 6 and 7, we want to mark a couple things because in verse 6, it says, And now ye know what withholdeth. Look down to verse 7. Or excuse me, verse yeah, verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth. You see, the word withholdeth. And the word, a lot of the same word in the Greek. It, it, it can be translated in many ways. One of the ways it can be translated is, it, it, is someone who restrains. And it says here that this person who restrains has to be taken out of the way before, uh, be, before the Antichrist has his way on the earth. Who do you suppose that is? Well, most scholars believe this is the Holy Spirit. Now you say, Pastor... I thought you said the Trinity is omnipresent, that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are everywhere they are. But remember Jesus said, I'm going to go away and send another comforter? We know Jesus physically went to sit next to the Father, but he's still here. He still dwells in our hearts. We know the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. But when you take all the temples, Christians, out of this world, and there's no one indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit who holds back sin steps out of the way and allows sin to take its natural course. That's what happens. You see, the Holy Spirit is one of the reasons this world isn't worse than it is. He hinders Satan from fulfilling all he wants to fulfill. And he's got plenty of angels that work for God and, and that is what's hindering the world from going to hell faster than it is now. I mean, you take the Spirit out of the way. And you take Christians out of here, the world's going to attack Israel, and America's not going to help. So here, that wicked one, and I add the word one, be revealed, and the Lord will deal with him. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. So he's just like Satan. He does the same thing that Satan does. With power and signs and line, excuse me, he does just like the Lord. Just like Jesus with the supernatural power that he has and signs and wonders, signs point to something. The word wonders means something that amazes you. So you have signs and wonders, amazing things that point to, to Satan and he's, he's doing these things. And the Lord's going to come with that same power and defeat him because God's power is much greater. But it says the spirit of Antichrist already exists. Look at here in verse 7. Um, it says in verse 7, The mystery of iniquity doth already work. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. Turn your television on and listen to media. All shows are about the end times. I mean, you know, there's so many shows and so many false teachings on television shows and in the media. You just can't miss the, the mystery. You can't miss the spirit of the Antichrist, the mystery of iniquity. You can't. It's hard to miss it if you're in your Bible. Everything's anti-God. Everything's anti-family. Everything's pro-gay pro, pro uh, you know, gay marriage and pro-this and pro-that. And, you know, I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am and the way God made me. I, I did have privilege. I was raised in a Christian home, and that's privilege. And my dad worked hard and taught me to work hard. And I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am. We, we have things in our world that are going on that are wrong, sinful. We don't take part. In either side of that we love people not because of what they look like because of who they are by the same token we're not gonna apologize for taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and so the spirit is here though you can hear it every every movie and I think of all this sci-fi stuff about you know Martians and all this It's all a preparation tactic of the the devil to program people so that after the rapture, they have an answer. Where are all these these people? Where'd they go? Well, there's obviously life on another planet. Martians came to get them, and they're gone. They just disappeared. They have to have an answer because what's it going to be like when a a Christian's flying an airplane, all of a sudden he's gone, and the co-pilot's going into complete panic. Where did he go? And he has to jump over and land the plane. And the cars along the interstate that are traveling at 70, and the Lord takes them up. And they're going to have all these wrecks, and they're going to go to cars and say, there's no one in this car. There's clothes laying there. There was someone in this car. Where would they go? And they have to have an answer. And so the devil's going to provide them all kinds of answers. That's what he does. He's the master of manipulation. And he's going to just totally confuse everything but satan's the holy spirit's got to step out of the way for all that to happen and we have to be raptured so the revelation of the antichrist has to take place now look at verses 10 to 12. i love verse 10 it says and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved isn't that sad A great, great verse. I said, I love this verse. I love these next three, I should say. But these people had an opportunity to receive the love of God. To be saved. And they don't do it. They don't receive the love of God. And so clearly they receive not the love of God. Clearly they believe not. Verse 12 says that they might all be damned who believe not. Do you know if if you don't believe, you're going to be damned. You're going to go to hell. If you don't believe, that's what the Bible teaches. And so we see here, they believe not, and, and they receive not, and they had pleasure in unrighteousness, verse 12 says. And so there's such a following of evil right now. The whole world is following the devil except for God's children. Everybody's following the devil. All the world leaders are. If you're not, if you're not a child of God, there's only one alternative. You're a child of the devil. You can't be both. And if you have been born again, you're following Satan, even though you may think, well, I'm a religious person and I believe in God. You're still a child of the devil if you hadn't been born again. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. So we have to be born again. And so we see all this happening. And then the, verse 11, look at this verse. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they believe a lie. People who don't receive Jesus, people who don't get saved, will believe a lie. And that's why I tell people, I don't believe that there's going to be a second chance after the rapture for those that have had an opportunity. Jesus said, woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. You had miracles, you had me, you've seen all this. It'd be better for you to have been from Sodom and Gomorrah, and from the Bible Belt, and see what I did and reject me. And here it says, after the rapture, when the enemy comes and sets up his kingdom, what's going to happen? All the people of the world are going to believe the lie. You say, Pastor, some get saved, some do. They have to run and flee, as I said, to avoid being decapitated. 144,000 Jews won't take the mark. They'll be saved. And they'll become preachers. Boy, the world's going to be in a mess. It's going to be in a mess. But Paul says here, we don't need to worry. However, if you're not saved, you better worry because <laughs> you'll be left behind and your fate will be sealed and you'll take that mark because you're going to want groceries. So if you're not saved, you need to be, you need to be. And the mark of the beast is going to be here. We're not, but to get the limited amount of groceries that will be left, you have to have the mark. You know, all that's going to happen. And so my challenge to you today is to be saved. You're not saved, you're damned. If you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. There's no in between. had a friend who used to believe in purgatory. I said, show me in the Bible. Well, I can't really show you in the Bible. I said, that's because it doesn't exist. When you're absent from the Lord, or absent from the body, you're either present with the Lord or present with the devil. There's no in between. There's no place you can wait and hope somebody else redeems you. The redemption was paid at Calvary once for all. I love this story here that I picked up this week. A guy by the name of Rudy, excuse me, Ruby Hamilton, a businesswoman in her 50s, was stunned at the loss of her husband of 32 years. He was killed in a car accident. She got more and more disappointed and and, and stressed because she had prayed for him, and all of a sudden, he's, he's gone. She had become a follower of Christ as a young person and prayed for her husband, who never became a Christian. And she just finally got to the point in her prayer life where she had come to the point of peace, where God finally gave her some peace after his passing. But she wasn't living for God because she's so distraught. She had peace finally, but you know, losing her husband, and she had prayed for his salvation all these years. And she thought, well, he just went to hell, and nothing made sense to her. A guy by the name of Roger Simmons was hitchhiking, just got out of the military. And uh, a gentleman picked him up in a fancy car, a nice Cadillac, and he got in the car, and he began, in in a few moments, to witness to the driver. And they're going down the road, going towards Chicago, and he thought, well, you know, uh, he's going to kick me out because he pulled off the road. And he's telling him, you know, he needs to pray to be saved. He pulled off the road. and He said, I'd like to pray and be saved. And he was startled as he led this elderly and middle-aged man, not elderly man, to the Lord. And he gave him a ride all the way to Chicago. He never saw him again. But years later, he was going back to Chicago. He'd moved on in his life going back to Chicago. And he thought, well, I'll look him up. I'll look this Mr. Hamilton up. So he looked up Hamilton Enterprises and went to Hamilton Enterprises to meet this guy that he had led to the Lord all these years ago. When he got there, the secretary said, well, you can't see Mr. Hamilton, but you can see Mrs. Hamilton. He was puzzled, went in to see this gentleman's wife. said, well, I really came to see your husband. She said, oh, my husband's deceased. said, he is? She said, yes. He said, well, I met your husband on May 7th. Five years ago, when I was discharged from the military and she began to look startled, May 7. He said, yes, I, I, he didn't know whether to tell her about it, but he said, well, I'll tell you, I was riding with him and telling him about Jesus. And he pulled over and he received Christ that day. And she just began to sob. Explosive sob shook her body, finally getting a grip on herself. She said, I would prayed for my husband's salvation for many years. I believed God would save him, but never did see that God saved him. He said, where's your husband now? She said, he was killed on that day after dropping you off. Isn't that awesome? And she began to rejoice and praise God. That's such an awesome story. He was saved, and she got that little bit of peace, but she still was upset with God. And now she finds out he was saved, and she never knew it until this man came to meet her. You know, folks, Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ died for you. If you've never trusted him, you need to trust him today. Because without him, you'll perish. And life is so short on this earth. Your life is just a speck in comparison to eternity. I say that all the time, but it's true. Is 70 years rejecting God worth missing him for eternity? Or 80 years if you live that long. Is it worth that? Of course not. What shall it gain you if you, what should it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Without Jesus Christ, you're doomed. So today I speak to people who don't know Jesus that this is the day of salvation. Come today and be saved. And to those of you that are already saved, I say to you, don't worry about what's going on in our world today. Be anxious for nothing but in everything prayer. Get on your knees and pray. That's how to deal with anxiety. I mean, it scares me. If it weren't for the Lord, I'd be pretty troubled right now. I know Joe, brother, the pastor, but not, not pastor, president Joe says everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to take care of all this. We're taking care of all of it. And I think, well, I remember gas lines in the seventies and I remember five dollars a gallon in the eighties. I'll survive the gas jack up, the gas price. It's going to jack way up. And I'll survive Israel being attacked by rockets. And I'll survive it all, because through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And he's going to take care of his children. We're going to be raptured out before the global warming. So if you want to worry about global warming, you're foolish to worry about it, because you'll be gone before it happens. If I was the world, I'd worry about it. If I was the world, I'd worry about everything. I'd worry about Iran. I'd worry about Russia and China, the great armies from the east that will attack Israel but I don't have to worry. I have a peace which surpasseth all understanding that says to me, it's fine, you can go to sleep. My worrying is not going to save Israel. Jesus is going to save Israel. My worrying is not going to save our world, our country. Our country's going down, there's no doubt about it. We pray for our country, we pray for their leaders, and we trust that God has a plan. And the end of the world will come. and While it's at hand, it doesn't mean it's started yet, but we know there's things going on right now, preparing the way. Are you ready to meet the Lord? He's gonna come and take us out just like that. And I hope you're ready to meet him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. And Lord, I don't know When these things are going to happen, but I know they are going to happen, the Antichrist is real and his spirit exists in our world today. We know he's here, he's our enemy. We know he's going to lead this world temporarily till you put a stop to it. And we know things are going to get bad, but we thank you. You're going to rapture the church. And we're excited about that. The day of the Lord to us is in a time of fear because we're saved, but it is a time of judgment. and We fear for our world, for our neighbors who are lost, for our relatives, for our friends that don't know Jesus. We fear for them, Lord, because this will all become reality. And it will be too late if they don't know you by knowing your son Jesus. Blessed now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with me. And if you need to come for any reason, our altars are open just to pray or to come for any reason.